Amen. Great music today. Church, let's take our Bibles and find our place in Nehemiah chapter number 13. Nehemiah 13, that's uh, the last chapter of this book. We'll end this study today. When I return, we will begin uh, for the rest of the fall and the winter working our way through the New Testament book of Philippians. And so over the next few weeks, if you'd like to read through that book, there's about 13 or so paragraphs, four chapters, and uh, we will work our way through that book. It'll be a great study for our church. And so, Nehemiah 13. Let me read verse 23 to the end. We'll have a word of prayer, and then I'll see about um, summarizing and bringing this book to an end. Nehemiah 13, beginning in verse number 23. You read along silently as I read out loud for us. In those days I also saw the Jews had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them, and I cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon king of Israel sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have committed all of this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Hornite, so I drove him away from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and by the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified from them everything foreign and appointed duties for the priest and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at the appointed time and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Look back, if you would, at verse number 25. You'll see why I titled this sermon in the bulletin. So I contended with them, and I cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, you shall not give your goddaughters to the sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourself. So, would you bow for a word of prayer with us, and we'll see what the Lord has to say. Our Father, now we come to You, and thank You so much for our church. We thank You for Sunday school hour, opportunity to study Your Word, and be with our friends, Lord, and grow. We thank You for our worship hour where we're able to sing and pray and give and testify about missions. And uh, Lord, we pray that in uh, as feeble as we are, that you, would, that you would rejoice in our worship. And now, Lord, we come to this uh, all-important time of learning from Your Word. And so, Father, I pray today that You would help us to uh, analyze this passage and then uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ and that we would be uh, Christians better able to serve You to serve our world. We love You this day, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, uh, when I was studying this passage this week, I almost thought about putting up this YouTube video that just cracks me up every time I see it. It's a, a little... Um, somebody's taken a, a phone video in the back of a church, and the guy is preaching, and he's preaching on love. 
and somebody's cell phone in the congregation goes off. I don't know if y'all seen that. And it keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. And finally, the person in the congregation answers the phone. And the pastor is preaching on love and he gets so angry that he walks out in the congregation, he puts his hand out, takes the cell phone from somebody and smashes it on the ground. And I was sure as the world, I thought, well, if I show that video, we'll all die laughing and we won't get anything done here today. When you come to a passage like this, I think when we read that verse there and we read this section, what jumps out to me is what makes a godly leader go crazy? Now, from the very beginning, you remember we read chapter number 1, Nehemiah, he is the cupbearer in the king's house and he loves his people and he's going to pray and he's going to serve and he's going to fast and he goes down there back to uh, Jerusalem and helps him the leading of the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of the city and the entire book is filled with, I think, 13 prayers from Nehemiah. This is a godly, godly leader. But when you get to verse number 25 of the last chapter of this book, the man is pulling people's hair out and throwing people around and getting mad. And now when it says that he cursed, it doesn't mean that you know he was spitting out profanity. What it means is that he was proclaiming a curse upon the people of God. But nonetheless, the man is going crazy. And, and when you read this, please understand that this is more descriptive biblical material than it is prescriptive biblical material. And aren't we all thankful for that? That God does not say for godly leaders when you get angry, you know, run everybody in the ground and power drive them and, you know, and, and take them out. That's not what God is teaching in this passage. Nonetheless, when we read this, I think that it comes to our mind that we say, what makes a godly leader? What makes those that are over the church? The Bible says that, that we should love those that are over us in the church for they should give an account before God of heaven for our very souls. That, that should be good for you in that day. You do realize that there will come a day uh, when we all stand before the, the King of all eternity and the Bible says that heaven and earth will flee away and the only thing that will be left is all of us. And Whether spiritually or physically, we will all stand naked before the God of eternity and give an account for our souls. And all of us will give an account for our own behavior and the, own, the way what we did with Christ. And uh, husbands and fathers, you will give an account for the way that you led your father or your, your uh, family before the King of eternity. And do you realize that Every single church leader that has ever lived will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for the way that the people of the church lived their lives. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Please live out the Christian life so that they may do that with joy in their heart. For this is good for you. Let me bring you up to speed with where we are. Last week we finished chapter number 8. And you remember we talked about how the Word of God was central to all of the worship and they were reading the Bible and preaching the Bible and God was blessing the church. In chapter number 9 and chapter number 10 of the book of Nehemiah, you might just want to dash off to the side there, revival. God begins to work into the lives of His people and because the Word of God is being uh, preached and, and expounded and worked into their lives, they get right with God and they're living for God and they are doing what the priests tell them to do and the whole congregation of Israel is living right. There is a revival that breaks out in chapter number 9 and 10 and please understand that revival is not about people getting saved. Revival is about God's people getting right with Him and living holy and godly and separated lives. 
And then if you were to keep on reading in Nehemiah, you would find that chapter number, uh, chapter number 11 and 12 is the reform that takes place within the congregation of Israel. Chapter 9 and 10 is the revival in the heart that they get right with God. Chapter number 11 and 12 is the reform that takes place and they institute worship and they begin to do right. And at the end of chapter number 12 in Nehemiah, Nehemiah has to fulfill the promise that he made to King Artaxerxes that he had rebuilt the wall, he had done everything that he was supposed to do, and now he goes back to work. He goes all the way back to be the cupbearer for the king. And two years' time elapses. And when you get to chapter number 13, you find that the children of Israel have gone back on the promises that they have made. They have ceased to be a holy and a separated people unto God. They have gone back to other gods. They have gone back to serving the way they were. And they were away from the Lord in their heart and in their behavior. And Nehemiah comes back in chapter number 13 and he finds them doing exactly what they promised that they would not do. And by the time you get to this passage, this godly leader who loves the Lord and loves His people is at his wit's end. You say, how did they go back? Well, let me just draw your attention to a couple of things before I show you. Look at the end of chapter number, uh, chapter number nine. Chapter number nine, verse number 38. After they are having this revival, it says, now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing and on the sealed document of the names of our leaders, our Levites and our priests, they were making a sealed covenant with their God that they would do right before the King of all eternity. Look at the end of uh, chapter number 10 and verse number 39. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the chamber, and there the utensils of the sanctuary and the priests who are ministering and the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus we we will not neglect the house of our God. By the time you get to chapter number 13, that is exactly what they are doing. They are neglecting the house of God. They are neglecting the covenant that they had made with God. Look at chapter 12, verse number 47. So all Israel in the day of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day was required, and they set apart the consecrated portion. For the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. By the time you get to chapter number 13, they have broken all three of these promises. They've gone to other gods. They are not taking care of the house of God. And they are not taking care of those who are ministering to them. And that is exactly what God wanted them to do. Now look with me at this portion at the end of chapter number 13, and you put yourself in Nehemiah's position. You've worked with God's people. You're loving God's people. You're trying to get them to do right. You leave for two years thinking that they will follow on loving God, doing right, and all they have done is broken the promises of God. Look at verse number 23. In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab, as for their children, half spoken the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Let me just make three points to you from this portion. I'm going to divide the sermon really just into a couple of parts. I want to make three points from the text, 
And then as we get ready to uh, be on sabbatical, we'll be out for two Sundays. As, uh, as your shepherd, I want to just give you three small points to remember in the next few weeks. Here's the first point I want to make from the text today. What drives a godly leader like Nehemiah insane? When God's people go back to lesser gods. You see, in verse number 23, he is not worried here about them marrying other women. That's not what's going on here. What he's saying is, you are marrying people who are unbelievers and who serve false gods. And by the way, let me just make this clear for you today. For all of those of you that are in here today and you're single and you're looking in the future and you want to get married and you want the Lord to bless that, the Bible clearly, clearly condemns and says, do not marry an unbeliever. The very first thing you need to be looking for in a spouse is, uh, you know, I know that Connie looks at me and she sees me as, uh, you know, this chiseled body. And I know you're thinking that. I mean, listen, Superman's got nothing on me. You know what I mean? And uh, But that's not what she should be looking for. Okay, I can see all these little grins out here, right? It's not what they look like and it's not their intelligence and it's not how much money they have in the bank. The very first thing you ought to be looking for is do they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are they sold out to Christ? These people had gone back from serving the living God to marrying into other organizations and other people groups who were serving false gods. And I want to say to us as a church, I'll tell you what drives the godly leaders of your church insane is when you're loving Jesus, you're following God, and the next thing you know, you have left the Lord and you're following after lesser gods. And there are many in this room today that say, well, I would never worship a totem pole. and I would never worship a false god. and I would never worship a Baal and Ashdod. That's an Old Testament matter. But what I would say to you is, there are people in this room who you love Jesus, you're following after Him, but if you're not careful, you will go back to worshiping the God of your pocketbook, of money, of your credit card, of your uh, uh, position, and of your pride, and of your relationships and of yourself. And the truth be known, most of the time, the God that we go back to is the God of ourself. And you want to know what happens in that passage, verse 23 and 24? You never go down alone. Look what it says. They started marrying these women from Ashdod and worshiping these other gods. And do you know one of the, one of the very first ways that we learn to worship the Lord is with our language. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalm 63.3 We praise the Lord with our lips. And what happens here? These people go and they marry these other women who worship these false gods and then their own children follow after them. Let me just say this today because I probably won't check email tomorrow. I want to tell you something. If you go back to worshiping lesser gods, your friends and your neighbors and your children and your spouse, they will follow you into that. They will never do what you tell them to do. They will do what you do with your life. I tell you on the authority of God's Word today that if your wife sees 
that football is more important than God and her. She won't follow after football, but she will find her own God that's more important than him. If your children see that anything else other than the God of the Bible is the most important thing in your life, they will find something else to be important to them. And you know what happens? It's a, it's a cycle. Sometimes God's people will worship, they'll, they'll leave the Lord and they start following these lesser gods and then life starts to go down and down and down and it gets hard and you find yourself mired in sin and you realize that things are going wrong and so you come back to the church, you get back in the Bible, you confess your sin, you start praying and reading and loving Jesus and God begins to lift, it's, it's just the way it works, God begins to lift your life out up of the mire and out of the problems, He begins to restore and give grace and you're worshiping the Lord and doing well and you know that He's on top, but what happens is then you want to take reins over your life again. And you begin to put other things in place of Him. And the next thing you know, you find yourself on that downward spiral again, and into the mire, and into that all of that pain, and into all of that sin. And it takes another time for you to be raised up out of that. I want to explain to you, that is a roller coaster you don't want to live on. You want to make God the King of your life and keep Him there. You know what drives godly leaders insane? When he sees people who love Jesus, but they go back to lesser gods. Are there any lesser gods that you find yourself going back to? I need you to answer out loud. I need you to answer in your heart. I don't want to condemn you today. I want to say that there's a struggle for every single person in this room. We all have sins and gods that we struggle with. And, and by the way, if you think that you don't struggle with serving false gods, then you don't understand the Bible. Out of the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is to have no other gods before Him. And anything that takes the place of God in your life, anything that you look to for joy more than you do Jesus, anything that you look to for satisfaction and joy and fulfillment more than you do Jesus Christ has become a God in your life. And I just want to say to you today, will you answer that question? Will you look in your own life and say, hey, are there any lesser gods that I've begun, I've begun in my life to go back to? Today's the day to confess that. And today is the day to make the Lord Jesus the King of your life and spend every day following Him. He is all joyful. He is the fulfillment of your life. He is the King. And if you want your life to be the way that it should, follow after Him. Let me give you quickly a second thing that drives godly leaders insane. The wasting of God-given potential. The wasting of God-given potential. Look at the illustration that Nehemiah gives them in verse number 26. Right After he kind of loses his cool and clears house, verse 26, he says, Did not Solomon... Do you remember Solomon, king of Israel? The Bible says that he was the wisest man that ever lived. He was the son of David. He had all the money. He ruled all the kingdom. He was the one that built the house for the Lord. He was this all-wise leader of Israel. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things, 
Yet among the many nations, there were no kings like him. And he was loved by his God. And God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Brothers and sisters, King Solomon had all of the potential of the world. He was a child of David. He was the leader of all Israel. He had seen God do wonderful and mighty things in his life and in the life of the church of Israel. He had seen God do all of these great things. He had all of the potential to lead Israel in the right and the good way. But with all of that potential, it was wasted because he allowed himself to be carried away to the other gods. When people ask me sometimes, Pastor, what makes you, you know, what drives you nuts? What makes you lose your hair? You know, I got one member of the church. He, he, he never fails to tell me uh, periodically when I see him say, he'll say, Pastor, you got a whole lot less hair now than you did when you started here. You know, Pastor, you, is it, is it bother you if, it, if it's not a full house on Sunday? Well, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I'd like for every one of our believers to come. It's a great day. It's, but that's, that's not what gets me. Pastor, would you, now I don't know, what, is it this that you want or is it that that you want or what is it that grieves your heart? What is it that drives you nuts? You know what, I'll just tell you. And sometimes in my mind during the week when I'm praying for you and I'll think of a family or I'll think of a person in the church who I know has genuinely trusted Jesus as their Savior. But they're lukewarm. They're nonchalant. They're floating a long life. They've got all of the talent in the world. They've got this God-given ability. The Lord has blessed them with all these. They could serve the body of Christ. They could disciple other people, love other people. They could do all of these wonderful things to see God's kingdom advance in our neighborhood, in our world. They really could be adding to the kingdom of God, but they don't. They show up when there's nothing better else to do, and uh, and 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 their basic demeanor is just to look to see who else is there and just to stroll through life, and they're good enough with that. And that grieves my heart more than anything, is to know that somebody would have all of this potential, like King Solomon, that they, they, they could have God's blessing on them, they could have wisdom, they could really be used for the glory of God in His kingdom, but instead of giving themselves wholeheartedly to the service of God, they waste God-given potential. That's what grieves my heart. And I just want to encourage you. Don't be like Solomon. Look, I, I don't know, just as friends, I realize this is another sermon, just like another Sunday. But I, I wish that for some of you, maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know, some of you, maybe you're listening and you're hoping the sermon would end quickly. I really hope that you'll listen to these words from a longing heart and from the Word of the living God, and that you'd say, you know what? That's me. Not that you want to be arrogant and say, well, i got all this potential. Look at how great I am. But, man, some of you... you and, and you know what? You want to know the sad thing about this sermon? Some of my people in here, you know, that 20% that does about 80% of the work, some of you right now, your heart's turning and you're thinking, oh man, pastor, you're right. I got to give more. I got to go more. I got to work harder. I, I'm going to pick up saying, I, and I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, please, Jesus, don't. 
You need to spend more time with your family. You need a break. You need some of that. And the sad thing is there's 80% in here and that's the one you're slow. You're thinking, well, that person over there, they could do a little bit more work and they could do it. And let's give that to them. But it's you. It's you and it's me. Just look yourself in the mirror and be honest and say, man, I've got some potential for the kingdom of God, but I'm pretty much just kind of sucking from the church and not giving back. I'm taking from Jesus and not serving Him. Just be honest. You want to know one of the, as an antithesis to that, people just have a hard time of being honest. You ever notice that? You know why people have a hard time of being honest in the world? Because they have no Savior that will give them forgiveness. I'm not going to call any swimmers' names that have been in the news this past week. But can I just tell you something? Over-exaggeration is a lie. Why wouldn't you just come out nationally and say, hey, I lied and I'm sorry. Because underneath, there's no confidence that there's a Savior who died to pay for that lie. I want to say to you today, there is a Savior that has died for your sins. And more than that, even the believers in this room, there's a Savior who is continually forgiving you. Why don't you just be honest and say, man, I, I might be 80, I might be 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, or 12. But I'm not really using the potential and the God-given gifts that I've been given to serve Him. Let me give you a third point. We'll bring this down. You know what drives godly leaders insane? <laughs> People who always need you to hold their hand. Nehemiah does all this work for about 13 years and he goes back. And in less than two years' time, these people have gone back. You know, in the life of the church sometimes, and just in Christendom, you know what drives leaders nuts sometimes? Is that pretty much unless you call them and text them and, and email them and beg them and plead with them, after a while they just kind of go on and go their own way. You know, in the New Testament counterpart to this, you know what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians? He says, not, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence, you would follow after Jesus Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul, writing on this wasted potential, he contacts that church in Corinth and he says, you have all of the gifts and you are stronger than the other churches and you have all of this ability and skill. But he writes to the church in Corinth twice to tell them, you are wasting the potential that God has given you. And you need somebody to hold your hand if you're going to walk with Jesus. I want to say to all of our believers today, don't be the kind of believer that has to have somebody hold your hand all the time. Mature. Grow up. Get off of the milk of the Word and get on to the strong meat of the Word and accept what God is doing in your life. I've known some people sometimes say, well, I don't want to get in this small group because there's not enough people in there that are like me or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that because it's not exactly the way that I think it ought to be. Listen, my friend, stop being a child and having to be held by the hand and raise up and be a strong Christian for Jesus and serve God when nobody is walking beside you. Those three points. That drives a godly leader. <laughs> I, 
Look at verse number 25. I read this this week so many times thinking, Lord, help me to never do that. I'm pretty sure I would have to put my resume out if I did verse 25. So I contended with them and cursed them. Don't do that. And struck some of them and pulled out their hair. There are times when I want to pull out my hair. but And made them swear by God that you shall not give your daughters and sons to marry into these false gods. You say, what drives a godly leader insane in the Scripture? You say, what hurts the heart of God? Going back to lesser gods, waiting uh, or, or wasting away God-given potential, and being that kind of person that always needs somebody to hold your hand. So let me transition to this and take a couple minutes. First of all, I want to say that from Connie and myself, we are so thankful and appreciative that the church body here has uh, seen fit to give us a sabbatical. And we'll be out the next two Sundays. And uh, we thank you for that. Uh, and, and, and praise the Lord for that. I was thinking early this morning, and I uh, was pinning down in the office. Uh, this, is a, this is an opportunity for me to trust the Lord. But from my pastor's heart to you, here's three words that if you'll put into practice will keep me from pulling my hair out and I think will honor the Lord Jesus. Here's the first one. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to the church. Be faithful in your giving. Be faithful in sharing the gospel with unbelieving people and inviting them to come to church. Be faithful. Here's the second one. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Don't give up praying. The evil one is always out there. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Be prayerful. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 2, uh, be steadfast or continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verse number one, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in authority. Why? So that we may live a peaceable and a quiet life with godliness and dignity in all things. Matthew chapter number seven, verse number seven. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks will receive. And he that seeks will find. And he that knocks, it will be open to him. Pray. Pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your own life. Pray for your church. Pray for unbelievers. Pray for the work of God in Raleigh and North Carolina, in our nation and around the world. Pray. Pray. Last one. Be worshipful. Worship the Lord Jesus every day of your life. You notice how the last chapter of Nehemiah ends almost on a down note? The people failed. I don't have time today, but look at verse number 27. And what you'll find is a bookend in chapter number 1 in verse number 8. 
The whole reason why Nehemiah had to go back is because they were unfaithful to God. And how does the book end? They were unfaithful to God. The former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, all end the same way. That the people go back on the promise of God. Do you know why? Because ultimately, we must be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill and do what we cannot do ourselves. Trust Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're lost and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm telling you that He is the Son of God, that He went to the cross to die for your sins, and that three days later He arose from the grave with victory over death, hell, and the grave. And this day, this day in this hour, if you put your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus alone, He will save you from your sins and give you eternal life. Put your confidence in the Lord. Worship Him every day finish with just two stories. One man that uh, ended up being a huge insurance tycoon in the city of New York years and years and years ago when the gold rush was first happening out in the West, he went to dig. Uh, stop me if you heard this story. If you haven't. This guy goes out West, starts digging, and uh, never hits gold. So the, uh, the lot that he's on, he gives to his uncle. And his uncle comes out after he leaves there, goes to New York to start another career in insurance. And four feet later, his uncle strikes one of the richest gold deposits in the United States ever found. And this young guy goes to New York, eventually makes all of this money as an insurance tycoon. And somebody asked him and said, how in the world did you recover from being four feet short of a gold mine? How did you go on? How did you make it? He said, I vowed that day to never quit four feet short of gold. I want to encourage all of you in your life. Don't quit. Stay faithful. Because you don't know what the Lord's doing in your life and in the lives of those that are around you. Even when you don't feel like it's paying off, stay at it and it will pay off. Amen? And... Um, I'll just tell you this. I, my heart was encouraged this week. One of my heroes in the faith, Lee Robertson, who's uh, a pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga for years, when he got to be a very old man, he lost his uh, short-term memory. He could remember things in the past, but he lost his short-term memory. But he was still doing preaching engagements. And that's all he knew how to do was preach. And his wife died before him. And I was listening to this story about how Lee Robertson uh, was at a church going to preach one night. And uh, they couldn't find him. And he was in this back Sunday school room crying his eyes out. And when the pastor of the church came to get him and said, hey, it's time to go preach, he was crying. And because he didn't have his short-term memory, he lived every day thinking about the death of his wife anew. In his mind... She had just died that day. And he cried and cried and cried. And then he wiped the tears away and he picked up his Bible and he said, I will go preach the gospel of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't have anything going on in my life like that. I've got hardships and you've got hardships. And maybe you've faced something like that before. But let us be the kind of person that through tears, through pain, through suffering, 
that we will not fall short, nor fall off, nor serve lesser gods, but that we will go on living for Jesus every day of our life until He comes again. Would you do that with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? In this church, we try and give folks a space to pray. And so right where you are, there's nobody looking around. Maybe you're here today and it's the first time you've heard about Jesus being the Savior. He died for you and rose again. You can talk to Him. Confess your inability. Confess your absolute need of Him as Lord and Savior and ask Him to save you. And and He will right where you are. Maybe for a majority of the people in this room, you'd say, hey, today's the day that I that I check up and I say, I, I will be faithful. And I will not waste the potential that I have been given. And I will follow on and be faithful to the Lord Jesus every day of my life. Maybe your week has been busy. Why don't you take this moment to pray? Give yourself to the Lord new.